Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, TNT analyst Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans, Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Elliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith. And Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Welcome, welcome to Trading Places, the <laughs> Hang Time Podcast, episode 54. Seku Smith I think this from is the, the Hang Time blog at NBA.com, alongside my partner in crime who's in my chair in Atlanta, Lang Whitaker from Slime Magazine and other various ventures. Langston, uh, I hope you're enjoying the digs, man. I'm in the Hang Time hideout. It's, a, <laughs> it's an interesting place. I'm trying to find your stash of like coke or water or something to drink but all there's about eight diet cokes on this counter yes and you would understand why there's eight of them uh, <laughs> because they've been in there since 2009 i refuse to drink them um by the way i think this is episode 55 isn't it uh, who's keeping count you know I we're rolling so hard here yeah you know who keep, who's, who's keeping count um no i, I mean uh I love the idea of you being in the studio and me being on the you know out on the road here now. I'm out here in uh, in L.A. about two blocks away from the Lakers practice facility where uh, there'll be a funeral procession um, in the next couple of days as the the Lakers as we know them uh, go fishing. Uh, Los Angeles Lakers swept by the Dallas Mavericks in the Western Conference semifinals. The 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 last ugly blow was Sunday. At American Airlines Center in Dallas, Lang. Um, you were there. Playoffs, you, were th- you know, I mean, the first round we thought was wild and crazy. It hasn't stopped. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, I know you're in Atlanta. You watch the Hawks even up their series with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, I, I'm still stunned. I mean, I'm, I'm repeatedly stunned by what's going on in these playoffs, and I, it's a good thing. I mean, I'm, I'm loving it. But are you are you still trying to you know get over the the initial shock of all the upsets and all the unexpected things that have gone on? Yeah, I mean, well, look look at it this way. Dallas upset L.A., and that's, that's done. The Grizzlies are <laughs> leading the Thunder. The Hawks uh, tied with the Bulls. And, you know, the Heat leading the Celtics 2-1, to you can argue whether that whether or not that's an upset, but that series has probably had the most memorable moment right. of the playoffs, the entire playoffs, when Rondo, you know, broke his arm or whatever and came back <laughs> and finished the game. Like, how incredible was that? So. I mean, I, I'm tired of looking at the replay of his arm. By the way, yeah, going me too. Sideways, whatever. Please, no more. But uh, I wonder if, it, if they think if it's okay for us to watch that because because it didn't break or whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm just tired of seeing it. But I was stunned that he came when he come came walking back out on the floor. Yeah, without a, a air cast or something. I thought, is he serious? You know, like is this dude really come back out of here? I gotta give it up to to Rajon Rondo. Yeah. Um, toughness. Beyond you know uh, belief in terms of a guy going out there and playing one armed. Also, you know, just, well, they were ahead by a lot too. That what were they up like fifteen when he came back out? You know, like he he easily could have just stayed in the locker room, um, and they probably could have gotten by without him. But 
you know, and then almost immediately there was that play where he dives on the floor and <laughs> yeah. t- tucks his arm and just lands on his shoulder and then uh, steals the ball with the left hand. And, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty uh, incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there have been some incredible moments. Your man, Jay, talk about incredible. Your man, Jason Terry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nine, nine of ten from three against the Lakers. Pedro Stojakovic was six of six. The Mavericks go for, for – 23s in in their uh, closeout game of the Lakers. We and and I asked this question of a lot of the Lakers players yesterday. Uh, not as many uh, of the Mavericks players did, did did we get a chance to quiz about this, but the Lakers specifically. I kept asking these guys. You know, Lamar Odom, Ron Artest, Pau Gasol. You know, was it, it what was the most shocking part, losing or the way they lost? And I'm curious, you, Micah, uh, what was more stunning to you that the Lakers got swept? Or that they got beat by thirty six in the clinching game. I thought that they that they lost was more shocking than you know. I, I figured in that fourth game, once they got down, you know, they could have lost by thirty, whatever. They could have lost by fifteen. It doesn't matter. It's four zero. Yeah. You know. Um, and I thought game four, the, that was really. I mean, you were there, but to me, it seemed like it was more Dallas playing almost perfect <laughs> basketball. <laughs> Than it was that the L.A. didn't play great. They didn't play great, but the Mavericks, like you said, Jay Terry was killing it. Stoyakovich couldn't miss. Like you yeah. know, they were driving and dishing. Dirk played well. Barea was doing his thing. Like they 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 played so well in that game four. Um, and I, I thought it was really more. You know, it, it's not. It, I know the Lakers losing is a big story, but I think Dallas winning is also a big deal. Yeah, I I thought. Uh, and Mike, I want to know what you think too. Um, but I, I thought that the after game one, you know, you, you still kind of had this idea, okay, well, the Lakers lost, but they could easily come back from this. You know, they could they could bounce back from this, da-da-da. Then game, they lose game two out here in L.A., and you go, okay, uh, you know, now this thing is serious. Game three, yeah. you know, they're up eight with, you know, six minutes left, and Dallas goes on a tear, you know, and finishes like a 27-run to finish the game. And I thought, okay, this is not about the Lakers anymore. This, you know, this is strictly about the Mavericks really putting, right. you know, putting it to this team. And then Game Four was just beyond belief. I mean, Jason Terry, he, it was like he couldn't miss in the first half. He was six seven from three in the first half. And I mean, he's spotting up, toes on the, you know, toes behind the line. And and the Lakers were helpless to to track down shooters yeah. in, in the way that Rick Carlisle, you know, designed that offense to go at the Lakers. I mean, they spread. It was like a football game. They spread them out. And then just decide, okay, where's our best mismatch, and that's where we'll go. And, uh, and you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as shocked that the Lakers lost because I know that three, four years of trying to chase a championship takes its toll on a team. Right. But the way they were getting beat, you know, where they were just getting manhandled in the fourth quarter of these games, and they just were not able to to lock down and get stops when they needed them in the fourth, is what really shocked me. Also, to me, th- that. The Lakers were, I think, third in the NBA during the regular season defending three-pointers. Exactly. And then Dallas just comes out and just rains three-pointers down on them. And, and, I mean, it's like, you know, one of their biggest strengths. All of a sudden, somehow Dallas just took it away from them and made it their biggest weakness. Yeah. You know? I, I think part of that, too, was uh, the fact that, you know, when you get in a – and we we always hear people talk about this. When you get in a, in a playoff series where you got to play the same team night after night, whatever your deficiency might be, it gets exploited and, and highlighted even more. Yeah. And the fact that the Lakers didn't have any shooters to counter 
the three-point shooting of the, yeah. the Mavericks really stuck out to me. Like, you look down that Lakers roster, they don't have a guy who, who you look at and go, all right, well, this dude at least can spot up on the three-point right. line and knock down shots and bang shots. Derek Fisher used to be a guy that you thought, you know, he'll hit some big threes and make some plays. He was totally out, you know, he was totally out of it. He didn't have a, you know, wasn't a factor at all in the series, I thought. Shannon Brown was about the only guy they had who could keep up, you know, off the dribble with Berea and Jason Terry. And Jason Kidd played probably as well as you could possibly play, guarding Kobe on one end, you know, for the bulk of the time, and then having Kobe guard him yeah. um, on the flip side. So, But, no, Micah Hart, our super producer, is in there as well. Micah, what, what was your impression of that that Lakers series and, and how it went down? Uh, you know what? I'll tell you in just a sec. We actually have our first guest calling in, so let me get that, and then I'll come back to you. <laughs> That's a good deal. Well, if we if, if our first guest is up, uh, that would be a, a pretty special point guard in his own right. Um, CBS Sports and NBA TV basketball analyst Greg Anthony, philanthropist and entrepreneur. You can also catch him on Yahoo Sports uh, with his NBA and NC2A coverage. Is joining us now on the Hangtime Podcast. Uh, Greg, we've been we've been talking Lakers and Mavericks, but the, the entire playoffs as a whole is really. Um, you know, has been a shocker to a lot of people. What what sticks out to you? Uh, you know, a little over three weeks into this process, I think the Lakers as two-time defending champs uh, being swept—that that's a huge one. Uh, obviously, what Memphis has done uh, in terms of being able to knock off the one seed—you know—that honestly wasn't nearly as surprising. Uh, not so much Dallas winning the series. I don't think that you could be surprised with them winning, but the fashion in which they won. Uh, the closeout game, you know, the lack of effort and the lack of composure from the Lakers, uh, that that in and of itself was extremely surprising uh, to see thus far. Um, you know, Atlanta to a certain degree maybe. Uh, not much of how competitive they've been in this series with Chicago, but the fact that they were able to, in essence, you know, just run right through Orlando, a team that had owned them in years past. So you're right, though. There are a lot of things that, that are somewhat surprising uh, but I think as two-time defending champs with Kobe Bryant on the roster, Phil Jackson, you know, in his swan song, you would have thought that that team would have played more for him. Uh, I think that, for me, is the number one biggest surprise. Greg, this is Lang Whitaker from Slam Magazine. Look, looking at that Laker-Dallas uh, series, what what do you think happened? What what happened to L.A.? How did they not manage to win a single game there? You know, you go back to that first game. You know, you're up 16 late. Uh, with an opportunity, and it seemed like from that fourth quarter on, the Lakers have, uh, they just didn't seem to be a very cohesive unit, you know, and, and I say that with all due respect, I'm not taking anything away from Dallas, because Dallas, to me, clearly was a better team uh, in that series, uh, and also the fact Dirk Nowitzki, I, I thought, was the best player, clearly, in that series, and, you know, at that stage of your career, it's rare that you see a guy continue to get better. Typically, they kind of you know, they, they kind of, you know, you know, top out, if you will. Right. And aren't nearly, uh, they're, they're good, but they don't seem to get better. And in this case, I thought he got better. I was uh, really impressed with what he did in their team. I mean, they, they really, they just made the Lakers look old. They exposed them even more so than what we saw in New Orleans. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki, though, has just, you know, I think he and Derrick Rose clearly have been the two best players uh, in this postseason. Yeah. Greg, what do you think about where the Lakers go from here? Magic Johnson has some pretty pointed comments about them and, and the fact that Jerry Buss maybe needed to take a look at blowing this team up. 
I talked to the players after the game in the locker room, and they were all obviously uh, against <laughs> against anything like that. But you have to, if you're looking at the rest of the league, and, the, and it looks like the West is getting tighter and tighter. If you're the Lakers, is it time to to make some drastic changes? You know, I think you, if you're if you're the Lakers, you're, you're going to have to look to make changes. I think it starts first and foremost with the coach, mm-hmm. uh, who they decide to hire. Uh, you know, a lot of people thinking maybe it's Brian Shaw because that's, you know, as a hypothetical, if you bring a coach in that is not necessarily a fan of the triangle offense, mm-hmm. uh, then you're going to have to look to make uh, personnel changes in that respect as well. So I think from a system standpoint, you got to figure out what direction you're going to head into. Uh, but remember, the Lakers like Boston, and, and really to a certain degree, I think now Miami, are going to solely be based on championships. And so to be swept the way they were, to be beaten down in that fourth game the way they were, uh, that, that tells me that that is a roster that needs a little bit more than just a tweak. You know, I do think that you could put, possibly see wholesale changes from a personnel standpoint. Uh, really, other than Kobe Bryant, uh, I don't think that anybody can feel as if they're definitely going to be a Laker next year. Uh, it's going to be a matter of what happens, first and foremost, with the lockout. Right. Uh, secondly, also... Uh, with the decision they make from a coaching standpoint. Uh, but, but I think you're going to see uh, a revamped roster heading into next season. Greg, there's been a lot of talk this postseason about um, point guards, about um, specific, specifically shot selection. And Russell Westbrook last night, Derek Rose, as a former point guard, what, what's your take on that? What, what is, 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 is there a number that's too many shots for a point guard? What's the responsibility? How, what, how do you see all that? You know, I think it's different. I think when you look at it from Russell Westbrook's standpoint, I, I, listen, he, he is one of the primary offensive weapons they have. Uh, so you, you would expect him, after Kevin Durant, to be the guy that's going to probably have to take the most shots. Right. Uh, but then it comes a matter of your decision-making and, and, and in terms of how you approach it. With Derrick Rose, listen, he's on a roster where those guys want him to take the tough shots. Right. You know, they're not necessarily frustrated or upset, and I think he knows that and senses that. And so his responsibility far greater. And then keep in mind, in his case, he's clearly the number one option offensively. Carlos Boozer, you know, has obviously struggled here in the postseason uh, with the injury, uh, as well as maybe a little bit with the psyche. Uh, Westbrook's situation a little bit different. He does have more offensive responsibility uh, than most, but he also plays with a guy who's led the league in scoring the last two years. So I think you've you got to find a happy medium if you're Russell Westbrook. And, and keep in mind, this is a young player. You know, this is a guy who came out of college after sophomore season. Uh, he's kind of learning on the fly, and yet he's already become an all-star. So the postseason, though, now when dealing with expectations, because OKC is dealing with that, uh, adds an, an extra element of pressure uh, that they haven't dealt with. So he's going to have to mature and grow as a player. Uh, but, but they have some other tools there that I think from his skill set that he could learn to really enhance and improve his teammates a little bit more because I, I think at times he, he gets a little shot happy. Uh, but you know what? I, I put some of that on the coaches too because mm-hmm. that coaching staff has got to do a better job of harnessing him and getting him to understand what are good shots, uh, understanding time, understanding score, and not feeling like he's got to self-will it. It's not that he's selfish. I just think that in his mind he feels he needs to do more, much like Derrick Rose has to, uh, but maybe he doesn't have to do as much. But, you, but you're right, look, point guard play has really been one of the big things in this series. If you think about it, you look at the impact J.J. Barrera's had from Dallas' standpoint. Mike Conley Jr., I think, has been sensational. Uh, you look at the impact that Rajon Rondo has had as yeah. well. 
So point guard play is 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 going to be uh, uh, you know extremely important. Uh, but relative to your team, your role is going to be different. You know, you don't want Rajon Rondo taking 20, 24 shots a night. Uh, Westbrook's going to have to take 15 to 18 shots a night, but it's a matter of the shots he takes uh, and also making sure as that point guard you're making those other guys better because you need them to play for you. That's what happens sometimes you get a little two-shot happy as a point guard. You, you really take away some of the energy of those other guys and how they impact the entire game. Greg, was there a coach in your career or, or someone when you were playing that kind of helped you to grasp that, or is it just something you, you get the more you play? No, absolutely. I, I'll give you a story. When my sophomore year in college, uh, I had redshirted the year before playing for Coach Tarkanian, and, you know, they had hyped me up coming. You know, I was, he you know, told people I was going to be the best card he ever coached, and my first game is in Maui. I'm uh-huh. a sophomore. We're playing the Maui Classic. Huge. All the scouts, Jerry West, everybody's there. We're playing – DePaul, and I'm playing against Rod Strickland, and I go out and I get, I think, 28 points, seven assists, seven steals, six. I had, you know, just an unbelievable game, and I am walking with my chest. It could not have been further out. My head could not have been bigger. And I never forget this. Coach came up to me after the game. He put his arm around me, and he said, Greg, you know, we would have never won it. Great game. We would have never won it without you. And, you know, and he paused for a second, and he said, but that's not what I need for my point guard. And it crushed me. Because, you know, as a player, you, you listen, hey, we won. I'm 11 to 16 from the field. We, we win the game. What, what are you talking about? And then, he, you know, he let it sit for a while, and he came back to me the next day, and he said, well, what you have to understand is that when you go four for 16, now you've alienated your teammates. Now those guys don't run the floor as hard. They don't defend as well. They don't rebound as much. They start pressing and maybe taking shots they shouldn't uh, because you've now taken away from the overall chemistry of the team. And, and so it took me a while to understand that. Uh, but he, what he said, his point was, listen, if you get the team where it wants to go, you'll get everything you want out of the game. Right. And so, in essence, we went from being a team where I was the focal point offensively to, to being more of a guy who deferred and tried to make teammates better, and ultimately we were able to win a national championship because of that. And, and so there, there is a balance and a fine line between knowing when to go and when not. And it's not always easy to judge because Russell Westbrook, when he looks at a lot of his teammates, I'm sure he feels – other than Kevin Durant, I'm the second most important player on the team. And, and he is. But with, that, with that, that title of being the second best comes a lot of responsibility, particularly when you're the point guard, mm-hmm. to make sure that you make those other guys feel good about their games because ultimately that's when your team's going to function best. Greg, you, you mentioned Rajon Rondo, and, and up until his performance the other night after dislocating his elbow, you probably had the most courageous effort I've ever seen coming back from an injury. Uh, the spill you took at UNLV and then coming back and playing the rest of that season, coming to practice with the football helmet on in the whole nine yards. Could you imagine, uh, you know, how? And, and, and probably you're the only person that we could ask that would imagine, you know, would understand it, but what's going through his mind when he comes back out there and plays after dislocating that elbow, knowing he's in excruciating pain? I mean, and what does that do for his team? Well, you hit it right on the head. It, what it does for your team as a leader, it, it shows them that it's about them, that it's something more important than your individual accolades. And, and that inspiration will really carry teams. And I think that's exactly what happened in, in Rajon's case. Listen, I, we all saw how gruesome the injury was, and I'm sitting there and I'm telling people, my friends that were with me, I'm saying, you know, he could potentially be done for the series. Uh, and, and, and then in the next breath I said, but you know what, if he can figure out a way to get back out there, you just never know. And you, know, you, you hit it. He comes back out. He's motivated. 
not so much to come out and do anything other than to give his team a chance. And, and I tell you, I thought from that moment on his team took off. And if he's able to play the rest of the series, uh, that could be huge for them because he is their inspirational leader. And that team really, they go as he goes. And, and he's one of those unique players, a la Jason Kidd, in his prime, that his best attribute is his ability to make others better. You know, we hear that term all the time, making your teammates better. Right. But that's, a, that's an example of it. Uh, that doesn't always show up statistically. You know, his presence out on the floor, his willingness to sacrifice uh, his body for his teammates, uh, that means a lot. That's a lot of responsibility, and it, and it forces your teammates to then respond in a positive way. And, and I just thought it was, you know, one of the great stories we've seen because that's something, you know, what we'll be watching that footage of, of the injury and the comeback for forever. You know, that'll be on NBA TV, NBA.com. <laughs> we'll be discussing that moment forever, uh, especially if they're somehow able to come back and maybe win this series. Uh, that could be the moment right there that not only saves their, their season, but really saves their roster as it exists because a lot of, t- you know, that's a similar situation to the Lakers and that a lot of people are saying that this could be their last to rot. They don't get over the hump. So uh, that thing I think is going to have a lot of ramifications moving forward if they're able to somehow come back against the Heat. No doubt about it. Greg Anthony joining us. Uh, man, we keep you in here all day if we could, man. We know you're busy, so we'll let you run. We appreciate you joining us, Greg, and uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you on NBA TV as always, man. All right. Thanks a lot, man. The playoffs have been unbelievable. I'm, I'm excited. It seems like every day something comes about to top what we just saw. So uh, I got to I gotta strap up my seatbelt here to get ready for the, for the stretch run. <laughs> no doubt about Thanks, it, man. Greg. Thanks again. Greg Anthony joining us. Here on the Hangtime Podcast. Lane, he, I thought he nailed it uh, for respects, but certainly about that leadership aspect. Yep. Um, and if you look around at these teams, the one glitch I see, and you brought up a great point about Russell Westbrook, I'm nervous. And, and I mentioned this to uh, – I was talking with Jay Adonde last night after the Lakers game um, from ESPN.com. We were talking about the the one thing you look at in these series, you know, the, the Mavericks have a ton of veteran guards. And in this next round, in the Western Conference at least, they're going to play either Russell Westbrook and, and Eric Maynard mm-hmm. in Oklahoma City or Mike Conley and O.J. Mayo and those younger guards in that series. And he, I could see these playoffs turning on whose backcourt you know, rotation leads and, and does the things necessary for their team to win, the, the unselfishness that you have to have and, and the way you have to play in the playoffs. I'm I'm very nervous, like I said, about, about that Oklahoma City situation because what if that's what keeps Kevin Durant and that team from reaching – you know uh, where they want to be. You know what I mean. What if that? What if that happens, and and that's what uh, holds them back. Well, I hear you, but uh, you know what? I'd rather talk about the Eastern Conference <laughs> because last night I was at the game, and I think we have on the line now uh, number five from the Atlanta Hawks, Josh Smith. Josh, Lang, what's up, man? What's up, Smooth? Stay cool. What's up, sir? <laughs> What's going on with you, brother? Nothing, man. I'm, I'm watching TV, and I see you on the highlights doing uh, doing the J Smooth, man. I'm, I, I like seeing you like that, man. Oh, man, I got it has to be uh, more of that than uh, than the stuff I've been given. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it, too, and, uh, you know, I watched, watched the film, but I've been watching films since the uh, postseason started. And, uh, you know, that energy and everybody, that's not that I have to definitely – uh, duplicate that and, and keep that going for the for the rest of the postseason. Yeah, yeah. Well, Josh, what changed for you last night from like game three to game four? 
I, I was just uh, making a conscious effort of, of, of not selling and being aggressive. Right. Uh, even if I took a jump shot, I was just going to uh, be aggressive taking it. Um, you know, not not worrying about what, what happens uh, around me and, and just focus on my game and, and get back to playing the basketball I know how to play. Yeah. Josh, I'm curious, and in, in you and I have talked about this. I know you've spoken about it with Lang over the years. And everybody loves to bring up all the heat you take around town from, you know, fans and whoever else. Do you, do you still feel like all these years later you're still trying to trying to fight off this, this stereotype of who you are, what type of player you might be? Because I'm looking at the numbers, and the numbers don't bear out the criticism a lot of times when you talk about your game and how you play. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, yeah, it, it is a burden because uh, – they expect so much from me on the team. And, uh, you know, sometimes the task can be overwhelming, but uh, for the most part, uh, you know, I take, I take it in stride and, and I, um, I know what my role is on the team. And, and, uh, you know, I have to give the energy and effort every night in order for us, in order for us to be uh, successful. I mean, uh, you know, I understand that. And my teammates always tell me it starts with me on the energy level. So I have to, I have to be consistent, but you know, I mean, from like five, Fighting out with persona, I really don't, really doesn't bother me that much because I know, you know, the people that know me, they know what type of person I am individually and mm-hmm. and on the court, and, and and that's that's as long as as long as I know that that uh they know that the real me, that's all that matters. Do you want to do you want to publicly give me credit for last night's win, Josh? <laughs> yes, man. Uh, you know, he, he came in game three. He didn't wear the the, the usual uh, A Town Braves cap that he wears. <laughs> uh, you know, you know what happened. You know the end results of that game. But uh, you know, we're not gonna talk about that. But, but, but he wore the hat for the game. I said I sensed uh, I sensed something uh, great was gonna happen, and uh, you know, the outcome of what we did. Uh, you know, in Game Four. I'll <laughs> credit to him wearing the hat. <laughs> I'll be wearing it on my couch for the next few games. I I will say this though, Josh. Last night, I, I saw I, and I wrote it like the, during the second quarter. I wrote I, that I thought I, I saw you. You looked more tired than you looked in a while, but I thought that was because you were probably working as hard as you've worked in in the last couple of weeks. Is is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, uh, yeah, I was exhausted after the game. I mean. Uh, it didn't take me no time to go to sleep uh, last <laughs> night. I was tired. So, I mean, um, I mean, you know, it, like I said, it does take a lot out of your body, but um, but you know, it's well worth it to to, to be able to get a win and, and uh, you know, just to be able to help my team out. Josh, what other? How many more levels does this Hawks team have to go up that that we haven't seen? Because just about every other team in the playoffs has had a stretch this season. You know, they've won, you know, seven, eight games in a row, what have you, or, or got on a streak like the Grizzlies did after the All-Star break. Y'all never had that that long stretch where y'all were just playing at a super high level. Have we not seen th- this Hawks team peak just yet? I mean, uh, you know, you, you 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 see it in stretches, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You see us play positive and, and, and beautiful basketball in stretches, but – I know that we can do it on a consistent basis. We have to just it, – it's not easy to do. And, you know, you, you, have to, you have to work hard at it. And, you know, we got to understand that it's, it doesn't come easy. We have to work hard on every possession. And and everybody has to be in tune. And, and we, we have to play 
together and not and not as individuals. Right. Josh, you, you mentioned, like, you know, people who know you and you care what people who really know you think about you. And I think one thing people don't know about you is, is like, last summer uh, you went out and worked with Idan, the Hoops Whisperer. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that? What was that like? Oh, it was a great experience. I mean, uh, the, that's the hardest I ever worked in, in my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you know, from the season, and um, I mean, he pushed me. He he perfected my my jump shot. He worked on he worked on every everything I need to work on work on that that was uh, that I was weak at. And, and uh, I mean, a lot of my success this season is due to him. Mm-hmm. Josh, Jeff Teague has probably opened a lot of people's eyes mm-hmm. with the way he's played against Chicago. Kirk Heinrich going down. T kind of steps into that void. What what about his game do you like, and and did you see this coming from him in terms of the, the ability to score and break the defense down and, and 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 play with that kind of speed and energy? Yeah, I mean, uh, I see I see him playing the way he played at Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know, sometimes when he comes in the game, he's indecisive. He doesn't know, you know, what his role is and, and what he needs to do in order for this team to be successful, but. He didn't play a lot of minutes right. this season, so we really couldn't tell. But in practice, you've seen the flashes of 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 him being able to help this ball club. And you know, all all I all I preach to him is to keep playing his game and to keep playing aggressive. And and, and you're seeing what it's turned out now to be. He has a great floater. He can get in the paint. He's very athletic for for his size. And uh, now. He's understanding that you know, uh, you know, he has to get the big guys involved. He's, he's jumping passes down low when he's driving, and he's really helping his ball club out a lot. Josh, when you were a rookie, you got to play a lot, um, and the Hawks weren't a very good team back then. And mm-hmm. I was talking about this with Kevin Durant the other day. How some guys can learn from just sitting on the bench and getting to watch, and then some guys you got to get out there and make mistakes and, and learn from those mistakes. Um, I mean, do you think just playing time is making a big difference with Jeff? I think it is. I mean, you, you have to bump your head more than once or twice, right? Especially, especially when you're young. You have to, that, that's that's like that gives you good experience. It's good to observe sometimes, but you know, to be in that 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 action and the, the line of fire, that's where that's where you really you really help your game improve because now you can start to watch film and see what you're doing wrong and. See what you need to work on, and, right. and and you can just pay attention to your to your to your individual details. Right. Josh, you uh you mentioned earlier about how tough it is for y'all to play at a certain way consistently, and we all have our ideas about why that's tough for y'all to do. Tell me what it is that keeps y'all from from being the team we see on those good nights all the time. What What is it about this group of guys? Because y'all have been together for a while. What is it about y'all yeah. that that holds y'all back? I just think that sometimes when, when that adversity hits us in the face, we we, we tend to separate mm-hmm. as individuals, and we try to do it on our own to be that be that you know quote unquote hero to win the game for us. Right. And you know, and we all know that that doesn't work. It never does. And when we see each other, you know, when we see each other come together and do it do it with each other, and our assist totals are high and you know, we're helping each other out on the defensive end, and we're communicating. That's when we're at our best. And you know, I think I think that we we just need to learn how to trust each other more in tough situations. 
Josh. Oh, that's, that's a good point. And again, Lang and I both have history with, with the Hawks and know you well. So we're, we're a little biased where you're concerned, you know, and we're always pulling for you to do well. Um, I'm I'm real, I'm kind of getting itchy, though. What if the Hawks mess around and make the, the Eastern Conference Finals? What would that be like in Atlanta, do you think? Man, I think it would be surreal, and I think it would be definitely surreal and unbelievable. I mean, that is shock. We will definitely shock the world. And you got you got a ch- you got a chance. I mean, three games yeah, to mean, go, you got to win yeah, two out of three. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all we got to look look forward to. I mean, even though it's definitely a hard task to do, we we believe that we can do it, and we just all you need is is, is knowing that you can believe that gives you confidence, right? So, I mean, that's all we that's that's all we we know we have a chance. No doubt about it. But man, listen, we know you got to catch that flight to Chicago. Uh, we'll be watching, obviously, in uh, Game Five to see what y'all do, and we appreciate you hanging out with us, man. And, and next time you need to come in the studio and kick it with us. Oh, most definitely, man. I'd love to do that. I got the hat right, on, Josh. Josh. So we're good. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Keep it on, Thanks, man. Josh Smith <laughs> right. from the Atlanta Hawks joining us on the Hang Time podcast for the first time. Uh, Lang, I, I didn't realize you were going to get the old uh, the old Gipper credit for that for that game <laughs> that win last night. That's that's smooth of you, though. Well, for, for game three, I showed up and you know I, I just didn't have a hat on that night for whatever reason, and and the Hawks played pretty poorly and didn't play well. And and Zaza and Josh both said something about why aren't you wearing your hat? <laughs> and so uh, so yesterday I, I wore it. I just happened to wear my hat yesterday, and they won. And as soon as the game was over, Josh was like. The first thing he said was, "There's the hat." <laughs> I don't know if he knows it's a. It's not the same hat I've had for years. It's you know, it's, it's just a Braves hat. But so you you have been known to wear uh, an A hat. Uh, I have on the regular. So I have. I'm getting, Nothing wrong with having a signature, you know. I'm getting, I'm getting too old for it though. <laughs> um, that's that's interesting though. That that one that one point Josh made about them doing it consistently, Mike. I know you've. You probably had the same question in your head that I've had, Lang. I know we've talked about it before. It's just, what is it that I would love to get in the psyche of that team and, and you know, figure out what it is as a group that, that holds them back? Because they got all the talent in the world, and you see it on the nights when they play well. I, I, I totally agree, and it's it's funny. I, I was tweeting about this last night that, you know, the the team, that the core that they've built, that they put together, that they have so much confidence in, when you see them play the way they played down the stretch last night, mm-hmm. I mean, you believe it. Like I've been watching this team for you know for since that you know I worked with them when Josh and them came in, so we all kind of came in at the same time. And this is what you hoped that they were building, and and what you wanted to see them do. And honestly, when they play like that, and maybe I'm a homer, but I don't think that there's a team that they can't beat when they are playing like that. When Josh has a mismatch you know, against anybody he's up against. Al pretty much has a mismatch against anybody he's up against, especially left in this postseason. And if they could just sort of have that collective light bulb go on and say, God, you know, if we we played with this energy and this kind of up-tempo pace all the time, we, you know, <laughs> we could be Memphis. I, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think Teague makes a, a huge difference just watching them because now they have a point guard who, you know, is, is – not only pushes tempo a lot, but is willing to drive and take a hit and, and try to dunk on guys and stuff. You know, they haven't had yeah. that in a long time. Um, and I think, you know, T maybe hasn't gotten those chances in the past for whatever reason, but now that he's getting the chance, he's, he's, uh, he's really <laughs> showing out pretty well. 
and uh, and playing great. And you know, like last night, that game was close coming down the stretch. You you kind of forget. I think with like three minutes to go, it, it was or four minutes ago, it was tied. Yeah. Um, and the Hawks finished it on a 16 to four run. I mean, and that's also been a problem is closing teams out the last few years. So I think, uh, the way they closed last night was, was really impressive to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I've taken a lot of heat from people over the years for, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't call myself a homer by any stretch when I was covering the Hawks. Cause I, there was one year I had to write 69 losing game stories and I, and I wasn't <laughs> particularly kind, but, uh, but I don't know. I felt like I saw the seeds of what they could become. Maybe probably before a lot of other people nationally saw it, Lang. Um, and you, you know, you obviously kept kept up have kept up with them forever and, and saw it as well, probably. But Teague to me is indicative of a lot of young players that have come through the organization the last few years. That talent might have been there, but didn't get the opportunity to perform on a consistent basis. I'm hoping this is the doorway for him to have a more consistent role on this team because I just I look around the league and I look at the young point guards playing everywhere and Drew Holiday is a guy that comes to mind, you know, Ty Lawson. When given opportunity, talented players tend to show you exactly what they can do, but if you don't get that opportunity and I, you know, A C Law was there before, uh, and you know, people could debate who's a bust and who's sort of thing. But without the opportunity to perform, it's just impossible for anybody right. to know for sure if you can handle what Teague is handling right now in the playoffs going going against the MVP of the league in, in Derrick Rose. So I, I really hope that that you take whatever you do in the in the postseason and build on it as you as you go forward. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering how that works for the Hawks, and I'm hoping it works out well. Well, I, I think that kind of goes to what Jamal – I mean um... – Josh was saying, and Jamal, I had breakfast with Jamal Crawford this morning. We were talking about it that it's you know you get a chance to see to to get out there and see what you can do, but also see what you can't do and learn how to improve on that. Yeah. And you know, sitting on the bench and watching is good, but at some point you you gotta you gotta get out there and and learn from your mistakes. As Josh said, what did Josh say? You have to bump your head a few times. Yeah. That, well, that's a good that's a great way to say it. You know, and I think. Um, now we're, Teague's kind of learning on the fly. I kind of thought Teague would have to play a role in this series with Rose being in it. Because right. I, I didn't think Heinrich was going to be able to keep up with him for the entire series. I mean, no one in the NBA can keep up with him. But I didn't think he was going to play this bigger role, especially offensively. I, I mean, that's, to me, been the the real surprise is, is Teague's scoring and getting everyone else involved and um, sort of savvy. He made a play last night where he pulled the ball out with like two minutes to go. They had a break and he, he stopped and pulled it out and ran some clock. You know, he, he's played really well. Yes. Well, yeah. all you need is that opportunity. Speaking of surprises, Lane, <laughs> we, we started the show talking about the Dallas Mavericks pulling off the, the, the true shocker uh, to me of the playoffs. Even more shocking than what my, my Grizzlies did to the Spurs in sweeping the Lakers. And, uh, our next guest on the Hangtime Podcast, a good friend of mine, good friend of the shows, Earl K. Sneed of Mavericks.com, who's watched all this stuff up close and personal. Uh, made sure I, I knew what time practice was and where to go when I needed to get there. Uh, E.K., listen, man, we, we've been shaking our heads about it the last few days, and now that you've had a night to sleep on it, try, try and put into words what the Mavericks just did by sweeping the Lakers like that. Man, I'm still dumbfounded. I'm still trying to <laughs> how did this happen? You know what I'm saying? Like we had you take two and I we we were talking about this all series, like, okay, if the Lakers have the heart of the champion, you know they're gonna come out and perform. But then at the same time we would look at it and say, 
I'm not sure they can play better than they did in the last game. So right. I, I really don't know how the Mavs put it together. Uh, they did it with good defense. I mean, uh, they held the Lakers under 43% shooting for the series. I mean, they did it with balanced play. And then in game four, they just hit the Lakers with a barrage of three-pointers that were coming out of everywhere. And I, I didn't know if they were going to miss again. So, I mean, <laughs> it was, you know, Jason Terry, like, he, he has been holding this series, like, uh, hostage, I think, you know, because they didn't know if, if it was going to be the same Jet that we were used to. Jet right. didn't know if he was going to have as much playoff success as he did a couple of seasons ago because the last couple, he, you know, he really caught himself out. And then in game four, he just took over it. So, I mean, I can't really put it into words as much as I say uh, they got it done, and that's all you had to do. Earl, we we were talking earlier, Earl, about how the Lakers were. Uh, by the way, it's <laughs> it's laying here. We were talking earlier up, about <laughs> about how uh, the Lakers during the regular season were, I think, third best in the NBA defending against three pointers. Um, let's talk about the Mavericks' offense. How are they able to to get LA so discombobulated and get so many open shots? Well, I mean, they've got so many shooters. If you look at the career top ten active three-point list. They've got Jason Kidd on there. They've got Pazer Sarakovich on there. They've got Jason Terry on there. And then Dirk Nowitzki is one of the all-time shooters, best shooters in the league, all-time. So, I mean, uh, if you talk about balancing the floor, and Kobe Bryant even said this, they've got so many good shooters on the floor that just stretch it. And then if Jason Kidd or J.J. Beret is able to get into the lane and just draw and kick, yeah. it just frees up everything. And that's what happened all series long. Earl, do you think um, that this playoffs is kind of like a, a validation, and I know that sounds weird when you're talking about arguably one of the greatest players of all time, you know, one of the top, he could go down as one of the top 20 players in the history of the league, potentially by the end of his career, but we kind of forgot about Dirk Nowitzki the last few years, it seems like. You know, people forgot how special a player he is. This playoffs, it seems like he's he's reintroducing himself to everybody. Like, you know, I'm still here and I'm still, you know, playing unbelievable basketball at this stage of my career. Is this his chance to kind of put another stamp on his career? You know what? What I'll say about this, Dirk has a swag to him that's totally different than anybody's ever seen in his career. Because if you look at his swagger, I mean, uh, a guy like Ron Artest pushing him, and he's throwing a bow and, and taking the technical, like that's not somebody you would have saw Dirk Nowitzki. Like that's not the same Dirk you would have saw earlier in his career. You right. know, but he he stood up to some physical cats during his Lakers series. He did it in the in the Portland series, and he still went out and performed. And I thought he was the best player all series long. And you talk about a series with Kobe Bryant in it, right. a series with Kyle Gasol in it. And he not only did he do, give it, let's be honest, he gave Kyle Gasol the business offense, <laughs> and then went up and beat him up on defense. So it's like I've never seen Dirk play as well a defense as he did in this series. And if he can keep this going, you know, in the next round and then hopefully lead this team to the finals, you know, we're talking about Dirk Nowitzki in a totally different light, I think, for his career. Well, talking about the next round, I mean, I don't know if you guys – I don't know if you want to look ahead yet or you want to savor this a little <laughs> bit more. But looking ahead, I mean, how did Dallas fare this year? Uh, you were there for all those games against Memphis and Oklahoma City. How do you see them matching up against either of those teams? I think they definitely would – prefer the matchup against Oklahoma City. If you uh, look at the season series, they, they won two or three against Oklahoma City. The third game, they played without Dirk Nowitzki. The second half of the second game, they actually played without Dirk, but they still went into OKC and got the win. 
So I think they match up better with the Thunder than they do the Grizzlies because they actually dropped three or four against the Grizzlies, and they had no answer at all for Zach Randolph mm. in all four games. So, I mean, just defending that guy, and now if Marcus Gasol is also playing well, I think the Mavs still go in, and for the first time all postseason, I think they go in as the favorites. Even looking at the Portland series, a lot of people pick the Blazers to, to beat the Mavs in that series. So I think for the first time all postseason, they go in as the favorites, and how do they respond to that, regardless of which team they play? Yeah. Earl, if you look at the the specific matchups, the way the, the, the Mavericks were able to spread the Lakers out and attack them off the dribble, does, does Oklahoma City or, or Memphis present a, a an opportunity to do more of that, or would you totally have to change the way you play to play either one of those teams? I think uh, if you look at Memphis, uh, they've got more perimeter defenders, I think, uh, when you talk about guys like Tony Allen. Even O.J. Mayo's been playing pretty decent defense. Uh, yeah. Mike played pretty decent defense. Uh, I think if you look at Oklahoma City, you know, they're kind of rough. Uh, they've got, you know, uh, guys that can kind of stretch you out, you know, when you look at Kevin Durant's length or even uh, Russell Westbrook's length, you know, and those guys are two athletic guys, but I don't think they present the same challenge defensively that uh, Memphis would. So I think the Mavs go into the series, you know, and they don't necessarily have to rely on a three-point shot. Coach Carlisle just said, you know, in this series, in the Lakers series, we're going to have to hit threes in order to win this just because the Lakers had so much size inside. I don't think either one of these teams, even with Zach Randolph and Marc Gasol, or you're looking at Oklahoma City with uh, Ibaka, I don't think that either one of those teams really have the same type of uh, length that the Lakers had. So I don't think they necessarily have to rely on a three-point shot as much as possible. But I think if, if anything, they need to rely on their depth because that's really what got them through the whole season. Yeah. Well, speaking of depth, I mean, where did J.J. Barea come from? In this postseason, <laughs> I mean, Jose, by the way, <laughs> well, he's no longer JJ. I used to write JJ all the time. Now I notice he's Jose Barea. Okay. Jose won. Jose won. Well, we're, well, let's talk about him. I mean, I, I I know he's coming off the bench for Dallas for a while now, but um, has he against LA? He probably had as much of an impact as he's had in years. Is that fair to say? Do you think? I mean, the funny thing about JJ is uh, if you go over to Puerto Rico, he's a rock star. Right. I mean, he's dating Miss Universe from 2006. I mean, dude, they've got a magazine there called Cadas. It's like the uh, Puerto Rican version of GQ. He's all over it. He's on the cover. Like, dude is a serious rock star in Puerto Rico. Then you come over here, you know, he's just 5'10 Puerto Rican. I don't nobody really knows. But, you know, he finds a way of impacting the game, whether it's through dribble penetration or whether it's through taking a charge. The guy is always in somebody's chest. He's always there to catch an elbow in the face and, and to draw a charge. And then if you look at uh, if you look at game four, you know, Andrew Bynum throws him to the ground while he's going to the hole. Guy gets right back up. Like, he's a very feisty little cat, and he's going to find a way to impact the series. You know, and a lot of people don't realize this. You go back to the 2006 finals team, Jason Terry, Dirk Nowitzki were on that team. J.J. Barea was actually on that team, and people don't even realize it, you know. So, I mean, J.J. Barea has – earned his stripes, I think, on his team, and he's doing a great job of backing up Jason Kidd because a lot of people wanted to appoint Roddy Bubois as the point guard of the future mm-hmm. or the backup point guard on this team, and it's really been J.J. Barea all season. Yeah, Earl, the one, and we'll wrap it up and let you get some rest because you've been working nonstop, obviously, the last <laughs> few weeks, but the one guy who's kind of stuck out to me in that Mavericks locker room, and this will probably surprise some people, but just in terms of, has been walking around with that we can win this and we can do this swagger from the minute I walked through the door for game one against Portland has been Sean Marion. Yeah. Um, and I, don't, I mean, I'm not around him all the time, so I don't know if that's just his regular mode 
where he's always walking around confident like that. But it struck me the way he talked after game one and then game two in, in L.A. He's not surprised by this. Are the Mavericks, were they not as surprised as everybody else was to see them handle the Lakers the way they did? No, we were all surprised, but they weren't. You know, Sean, and, and you talked about the swagger. Sean's swagger is always on a million, regardless of when you talk to him. So it, it doesn't really matter. But he, he and Tyson Chandler, both of those guys have really been, you know, the most vocal guys saying, hey, we know we're going to do this. You know, it doesn't really matter. And at the, even after still in two games in L.A., you know, they were still taking in one game at a time. And, and they've got so many veteran leaders on this team that, you know, no, no one gets too high or too low. Everyone's very even kill. And Jason Terry actually said, I think, the line of the series. He said, every veteran on this team has a story. Look at Pedro Stojakovic. He hadn't been to the Western Conference Finals since the Lakers knocked him off. So right. that was his motivating factor. You look at Jason Terry. He, he's actually looking back at the postseason. A lot of people wanted to know why Roddy Bouvard was not in the game and Jason Terry was in the game last year in game six against the Spurs. So he carried that with him all season. Dirk Nowitzki, is he a superstar? Is he just a star? He has to answer questions like that because he doesn't have a title. Jason Kidd, he's a future Hall of Famer. Every single veteran on his team has a story. So now everyone's coming together and no one's really getting too high or too low. They're just trying to think, okay, we need 16 wins in order right. to get a national, t- uh, in order to get an NBA title and we're eight wins away. Earl, last thing before we let you go, any word on status for Karan or Roddy going forward? Yeah, Donnie uh, Nelson said, well, in terms of Roddy, he, he can be active now. Roddy is fine. It's just, just uh, Corey Brewer has shown enough defensively uh, and offensively. He's been a, more of a spark now, so those two guys are kind of fighting it out for the last active spot on the roster. But Roddy's fine. In terms of uh, Karan Butler, uh, what Donnie Nelson said was, it's nearly impossible that he could come back this postseason. Now, I'm, like I told you guys the last time I talked to you, I'm not going to tell that guy no. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to tell Karan that he can't do it. So I think it's a matter of uh, what Karan can do in an elevated period of time. Because right now he's clear for non-contact drills, basketball-related drills at non-speed, uh, non-full speed. So if he is able to elevate that over the course of maybe going into the Western Conference Finals or maybe even coming out of that and going to the finals, I think that would determine everything. At the same time, Carlisle is doing a great job of managing his rotation as it is. And I actually thought he outcoached Phil Jackson. And you're talking about arguably the greatest coach of all time. I actually thought Rick Carlisle outcoached him. So uh, do you really want to tinker with that rotation now? I'm not really sure if you really want to do it, especially if Karan's not 100%. Right. No doubt about it. Earl, get some rest, man, and uh, I'll see you later this week because I'm sure we'll be back at it before too long here. Man, I'm going to try to get some rest. I'm tired of looking at Sekou's face. No offense. But I, I'll see you a little too much, bro. But I'll welcome you back whenever you come back down, man. Appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you. Earl Steve right, Thanks, Earl. from Mavericks.com joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Lang, it's, I, I will say this has probably been one of the more enjoyable stretches I've covered in the last few years um, watching the Mavericks. Because I, I, I like watching teams that are, aren't expected to do a whole lot. Um, you know, kind of rise up and shock people. The Hawks did it, you know, a few years ago in 08 when they played the Celtics in the first round, man. And that that one seven-game series felt like, um, you know, it, it made that season. I could, you know, they only won 37 games during the regular season. Right. But going seven in the playoffs, man, I, it never ceases to amaze me what uh, a strong performance in the playoffs can do for a team. Uh, we saw it at Oklahoma City last year. I have a feeling we'll see it with Memphis this year that, you know, they'll take whatever they finish 
and however they finish this year's playoff series into next year with them, you know, with a healthy Rudy Gay, and who knows what, you know, the, what the limit could be for that team. I, we're not even halfway through this thing. You realize that, right? <laughs> we, we, we still haven't really talked about your Hangtime Grizzlies that much. I'm not. I'm trying not to jinx them. I I, I, I stopped tweeting during their games. <laughs> uh, I, I've gotten so superstitious now. I don't want to blow up for them. You know what I mean? I hear you. I'm I, just. I'm, I'm trying to be good because when when and if they, or if and when they do make it to if they make the Western Conference Finals, it's you know it's it's a, it's a wrap. I'm gonna be out of control. <laughs> and uh, and don't let them get to the NBA Finals. They listen. As crazy as this playoffs has been. How how would we how are we gonna act if the Grizzlies and Hawks play for the NBA championship this year? <laughs> you and I might have to have a boxing match at halftime of each game. <laughs> we can have a cage match at halftime of game one. See who wins. <laughs> oh boy. Well listen, another another episode of the Hang Time Podcast. Strong as always, uh, you know, with great guests, Greg Anthony of NBA T V and CBS. You you know you've seen him on on our ways at NBA TV and then also on the uh, NC2A coverage. Josh Smith of the Hawks, uh, guy that we should have had on here a long time ago. Glad he could come and join us before the Hawks take off for uh, Game Five in Chicago. And then they're okay, Snead and Mavericks dot com coming on and, and, and breaking it down for us a little bit more about that Mavericks team that that pulled the shocker and upset the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference semifinals. Um, Lang, are you getting back out? on the road here uh, coming up? Are you going to get some more uh, playoff action in person? I'm sure I will. I'm, I'm heading back home today, but um, and then I'll figure out what happens from here. Let's, maybe you and I can uh, do like a tag team finals coverage if this ends out with uh, <laughs> Memphis and Atlanta in the finals. I like how ridiculous that sounds. I do too. I, I mean, it, at the rate we're going, it, won't be, it might not be ridiculous for long. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely get up and try and figure out a plan for that. And uh, next week, Everybody, you need to join us right back here on the Hang Time Podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do.